Amen. Please remain standing now and hear the word of God as we return to the Gospel of John. I'll be reading chapter 6, verses 22 through 40. These are the words of God. On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except that one which his disciples had entered and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias near the place where they ate after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's the reading of God's word. Let's ask his blessing. God, our Father, we come again to your word, to this wonderful gospel. Lord, use the reading, the preaching to bless the hearing, the meditating, and the applying, all of it. Our Bibles are open before you. Open our hearts as well, and do the work only your spirit can do. Grant and strengthen our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hunger. We are are born hungry. We are born hungry, and this goes all the way back to the garden. I don't just mean a baby when a baby is born, but all of us are born with hunger. We're hungry all the time. Genesis 2, 8, 9 says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God creates a world, places man in that world, and says, Go, eat. I have lots of things for you. Verses 15 and 17, the same chapter. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So we're all born hungry, and God provided a way to take care of our hunger. 
But it was also always important to discipline one's hunger for the right things. Right away, there's a temptation to hunger for the wrong things. And of course, in Genesis 3, we hear, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant for the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They hungered for the wrong things. In John 6, we have already seen Jesus provide food for a hungry multitude, providing a sign that he is the Son of God. And an overriding theme, really, that's going to run throughout this chapter, throughout chapter 6, is that we are to come to Christ for who he is and not simply for what he gives. He was not just simply providing food for a hungry multitude. He was providing a sign, pointing to them, showing them who he was. It wasn't about how much they could get from him that he was interested in showing them. It was about revealing to them, to them who he was. And while all good gifts come from God, we see this in James 1, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, all good things come from God, our temptations lead us to make idols of the gifts, perverting them, worshiping them, ruining them. Romans 1.25, we exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature, the things, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Anytime you have placed anything, you placed anything above God and your devotion, first of all, to him, you're making an idol of that thing. Anytime you're depending on, I won't be happy unless, I won't be filled unless, I won't be, um, I, I won't have achieved what I really must achieve unless, and you fill in that blank with anything other than, other than God, you have now de described who your idol is. That's your idol. That's what you're hungering after. That's what you're hungering after more than you're hungering after God. Um, St. Augustine famously once said, Thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find their rest in thee. Augustine was making the point that we have a hunger, a desire that needs to be filled. It, it, it longs for something, and it won't be satisfied in his prayer. He says it won't be satisfied until we find our satisfaction in you, until it's satisfied by you. The problem is that our restless and sinful hearts cause us to seek him, even deciding to seek after God in wrong ways. And worse than that, really, is the fact that our hearts are dead to God. Listen to Ephesians 2. Um, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others." So God creates a world. He, he places a, a beautiful banquet all over the world for us to eat. And he gives some specific directions about what not to eat, but there's so many yeses. How are we distracted by one no? And yet we were. And we give ourselves to, to hungering after, longing for the wrong thing, and all, the whole human race falls into sin. And we perpetuate this in our nature as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, son, sons of the, of the fallen ones, um, regularly having a longing, 
We're fallen, so it's already messed up. But the longing really only will not be fulfilled until we find our satisfaction of God. But we're dead to God. We don't want to have anything to do with God. And so we, we run this frustrating life of seeking after pleasures to fulfill, of seeking after hungers to be satisfied. And there's always this need for more, for something else, until we find, as Augustine says, until we find our rest in Thee. The weird thing about it all is that it's not that God doesn't want us to have certain things as much as He wants so much more for us than we realize. He wants more of, uh, for us than we want for ourselves. So God wants far more for you than just simply to be your bread God. <laughs> give me some bread, God. Give me some money, God. Give me this, give me that, God. He offers himself in fact, as the true bread. So he doesn't want us to seek after him as the bread God. He wants to be himself the true bread, the bread from heaven that gives life to the world. And so we come into a really, really difficult passage. Maybe not so much to understand, but to apply, to believe and to apply. We find here in the very first verses, 22 through 26, that uh, the, the, the crowd that was following after Jesus, the day after the, this group um, that had been 5,000 men plus women and children, um, the, the very following day, they, some number of them traveled as, as well by boat to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Probably doesn't make sense that 12,000 people found boats to get all the way across, back across. But some, some group of them get across and, and they're over there um, and they're actually surprised to find him there. They're seeking after Jesus. These verses are a little confusing um, because it said they went there and then they're surprised to find that he's there. Um, it's almost as that they thought that he would arrive back in Capernaum soon because that was his home base at the time while he was in Galilee. So they, maybe they were going there to find out if they could, anybody knew where he had gone or anybody knew when he was going to be returning, and then there he is. They're diligently seeking Jesus. It says they're diligently seeking Jesus. They're, they followed him, and, and, and as they get there, they're doing exactly the right thing. They're, they're diligently seeking Jesus. Isn't that a good thing? But Jesus seems to just kind of ruin the opportunity, blows the opportunity. Look at verse 25 and 26 again. So, and when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Super opportunity. Well, let me tell you what I did. You can ask the disciples. They saw it, right? I'm going to show you again. He doesn't mention it. He doesn't mention the other miracle that he just did. He said, they say, how did you get here? Here's the opportunity. And he says, uh, most assuredly, which again is amen, amen. This is a vow. This is like, this is before God, I'm making this vow. So he's, what he's about to say is most important. Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Oops. Talk about offensive. Jesus says that they're not seeking him at all because of the signs. Now, look back at verse 2 in chapter 6, by the way. Um, so after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Verse 2, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. 
Jesus says in verse 26, um, I say to you, you don't follow me, you, you did not seek me because you saw the signs. Oh, it's those contradictions in the Bible again, isn't it? Now, so I don't think it's a contradiction at all. Um, the, the, the signs were causing them to seek Jesus, but they were not seeking Jesus because of what the signs were pointing to. The signs were causing them to seek after Jesus for more signs, but the signs were not causing the people to seek after Jesus because of what the signs were pointing to. Remember, why did John write all of these signs? Why does John collect these particular signs? In order that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and in him find eternal life. So, um, the thing was, is their bellies had been filled, and they were impressed with his miraculous healings. And we also saw in the last, uh, in, in these la- the last sections here, that if he was greater Moses, then they wanted to make him a revolutionary deliverer, just like Moses was. Remember in verse 14. And so Jesus calls them out. Basically, you aren't really interested in how I got here. <laughs> you don't really care how I got here. You are really interested in getting something out of me. You're not that interested in the sign, frankly, that you didn't see. You don't even want to know the details about it. You're more interested in what I'm going to give you right here, right now, aren't you? Now, and there's, we have to stop here for a second because there's really some great subtlety here. Um, Jesus says in, in, this, in this verse here, verse 27 that we're going to get to, he says, Do not labor for the food which perishes. Do not labor for the food that perishes. Now, we're, we're told elsewhere in Scripture that if a man won't work, he won't eat. If he doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So, so Jesus, I don't think Jesus means this like a straight-up absolute command. Not only that, we're, we're told that we are to ask God and seek God for all of our needs. In fact, elsewhere in this, in this uh, gospel, he's going to tell us, um, whatever you want, ask and it will be given to you balance those things. We're we're told to labor in prayer. We're told to labor in prayer and ask for all the needs that we particularly want. We we just said the Lord's Prayer. When we said the Lord's Prayer, we said, give us this day our daily bread. And everybody understands that that means more than just the fact that we're supposed to ask, ask for that sandwich at noon. He's saying, whatever your most simple need is for today, ask me for it. I am the God who gives. I'm the one who created the whole world. I gave it. I have it for you. What do you need? Ask for me. Ask for me for that daily bread. Well, so Jesus says that, and then he says here, do not labor for the food which perishes, and your sandwich is going to perish, but you're supposed to ask for it. But the Lord's Prayer, remember, presupposes that we are coming to the Lord, the one whose name is to be hallowed over all heaven and earth. And the one to whom we submit our will, to his, thy will be done. We submit our will to his. We pray, thy will be done, just as Jesus would do in the Garden of Gethsemane. Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's in that context, it's in that context, that it is right and proper to fill your prayers with pressing physical daily needs, just as a son would do towards his father. So, therefore, when he, when he says, do not labor for food which perishes, it is not an absolute command, but rather a particular rebuke to those who had Jesus right before him, and yet were more interested in the sign. The sign is supposed to point to the thing that was signified. The one who was signified is standing there, and they want the sign. They got it backwards, right? You have a sign, you know, you have a sign here, 12 miles to Seattle, 
and, and you want to go to Seattle. So then you, the sign tells you where to go. They got it backwards. They're in Seattle and they're like, where'd the sign go? I want the sign. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all backwards. It's all mixed up. And that is because we, we, continue to, we continue to struggle with the idea that, that Jesus is our bread God. Um, in the uh, Beatitudes, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Or do you hunger and thirst for bread? How am, I, how am I to balance these things? How am I to, how am I to get this set straight? There's, a, there's, there's something to, 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 there's a constant rebuke to us that God is not your slot machine. He's not your personal vending machine. That's not, that's not why you were introduced to God the Father through Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit. So that you could go, wow, I, I could just tell him what I want, and he's going to just give it to me. It's just going to be like that. I'm just like genie in a bottle. That's not who God is. And so he goes on and he says some very important words here. He says, um, verses 27, verse 27, Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Isn't that wonderful? Which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. And then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. This is the work of God. That you believe in him whom he sent. So, the goal, the end, and the purpose of seeking Jesus is not for food which perishes, but food which endures to everlasting life. That's what he says. You see, Jesus wants far more for us than what we are seeking. Jesus wants far more for you than what you're seeking. The things of this earth are needed, and, and they are to be enjoyed and thanked God for, but they cannot be sought for the sake of enduring fulfillment. They cannot be sought. And this goes beyond food. This goes to relationships, your dreams and aspirations, your self-actualization. You, 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 what you are to, what you are to seek, you, you may receive any of a number of those things, but those things won't endure. And he says, don't labor for things that are going to perish, for food that perishes. But instead, labor for the food for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then in Matthew 10, 39, he who finds his life, I got it all, will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will find it. 
It would do us well to remember Abraham, who was overjoyed at the gift that God gave him, this miraculous birth of Isaac, his son, the son of his old age, and the son of the promise. Through Isaac, all nations, through, through Abraham's son and seed, all nations would be blessed, and you, you'd, be the, you'd be the king of many nations. But even his son was not to occupy the place that God alone should occupy in Abraham's heart. God stepped in with the command to offer up Isaac, as a sacrifice to him. Genesis 22, God said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. Jesus said this food which endures everlasting life that he will give. And he says here at the very end of that that verse, um, because God the Father has set his seal on him, now, the seal, many, many believe that the seal points back to the baptism of Christ when the Holy Spirit descended upon him, sealing him and equipping him for the ministry at hand. He was to do that and was sealed by the Spirit for that work. But um, it also might refer to the seal that the Levites, the priests, would place on offerings after they had examined the offering and had determined that the offering was acceptable and approved according to God's word that it was without blemish, and the sacrifice was truly a good and pure sacrifice. And if this is the case, then when Jesus says this, um, because God the Father has set his seal on him, on me, it would be an ominous statement that he would be the living bread that one day would be broken, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. So he says, I will give you this bread, this bread that endures forever. And the people, the crowd say, well, then give us this bread. <laughs> what shall we do? What do we need to do? What do we need to do, God? What do we need to do? Let's, let's, let's come up with a deal here. What do we need to do so that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. In other words, when people believe in Jesus, God is at work. Here's the work that you need to do. Here's, here's the work of God. <laughs> Believe. Believe in him whom he sent. This is not a work that we do. It is the work that God does in us. This is this, even the belief. The work is going to be the work of Christ sealed by the Spirit and, and offered on our behalf. The work is going to be God himself granting faith. The work is going to be all God's and it's all grace to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. What do we need to do? God's already done it. God's already done it. Believe. Believe in, and believe is the, just the verb form of faith. The same, same word, root word in, in, the, in the Greek, so think about that. Believe is the, is the verb form of faith. Uh, remember the prologue again. For as many as received him, this is verse one, or chapter 1, verse 12. For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And that theme again shows up throughout the scriptures, those who would believe in his name. Believe, in fact, shows up nine times in this chapter and five times in just this, in this, in just this passage that we are alone. Again, verse 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Verse 30, therefore they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. 
But I said to you that you have seen me, verse 36, and you do not believe. And then verse 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting rest, everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And then look at the very end of chapter 6, verse 70. Jesus, um, I'm sorry, not not 70, verse, uh, verse, verse 40. Oh, there's another one. 69, there it is. The 69, also you've come to believe and know that we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's Peter who's making that declaration on uh, on behalf of all the disciples there at the end of the chapter. We'll get there. Just believe? (laughs) That's it? Just believe? Yeah, when that, when that faith takes control of you, that belief, that faith takes, then, then what happens is you're, you're placing your trust in a person who's going to take care of your sins. You're placing your trust in what you're saying is that one is going to satisfy me greater than anything. That, that's the one I was made for. That's what, that's what my heart, my mind, my soul has been longing for. That's where I, and only where, I'm going to find that, that deepest satisfaction, that deepest need, that deepest self-actualization. Figure out who I am. It's going to be solved when I believe in him, when I receive him. I don't want to miss that. And I don't want to miss that in my life as a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Yet I swerve and I, I, I swerve right and left away from that, my ultimate belief, my, the final place, the real place of who I am. Because I hunger for other things. And God doesn't say hungry for other things is not, it's not a sin. He made us hungry. We were hungry in the garden. We were warned before the fall. And then after the fall, we have this work of sanctification the hunger doesn't go away. There's other needs. There's other real things to enjoy. God's a great gift giver. A great gift giver. Gives us all kinds of things. But never to become the bread God. Simply to become a kind and loving and merciful and gracious and generous father. But your father. Verses 30 through 35. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then? That we may see it and believe. What work will you do? And then, and then there's this like temptation to Jesus. This like, like our fathers ate manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus gave them bread from heaven to eat yesterday. Like Moses did it for forty years. Jesus thought you were greater. It's the next day, bread God. It's the next day. So when Jesus says to them, uh, I want you to look for the food that endures for everlasting life, and they say, what do we need to do? Well, they're saying, what do we need to do? Because what do they want? What do we need to do to get the bread? Because, <laughs> that, that, well, wasn't that heavenly bread? Wasn't that real heavenly bread that came from heaven that was angel food that, that Moses gave to the people? What do we need to do to make sure? Show us a sign so we can believe, so we can get what Moses got, what, what Moses' people got. Show us. They want more proof, though. They want more proof that he is the bread God. They want more proof that he is what he claims, what he claims to be, what they think he claims to be, and they're still messed up, just like we still get messed up. They want more signs. I'll believe if I get more signs. How many of you are guilty of this? 
okay, God, I'll really follow you when. I'll really follow you if you do this. If they just saw more signs, they claim that they would believe. The holdup, it seems, is that Jesus isn't doing enough. He needs to perform first. How often do we say we are so disappointed in God? We're so disappointed in his timing. We're so disappointed in what he's given. If he would just give more, if he would just perform better, then I'd be happy to make him God, Lord again. I'm putting him in probation right now in terms of the way I see my life. Because he's not doing all that he needs to do to prove that he's God. But we aren't to look for signs to satisfy nor bread that perishes. We're to let the signs that he has already revealed to us point us to the thing it signifies, or rather, to the person that it signifies. Jesus corrects their misunderstanding of the manna and Moses. The manna was not the bread from heaven. The manna was a sign. Listen to Jesus. 32, then Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of heaven of God is he who comes down from heaven, and gives life to the world. Not what comes down, but he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So it wasn't, the manna wasn't the bread from heaven. The manna was the sign of the one who would come down from heaven. That's what Jesus is explaining to them. The manna was a sign. The thing it signified was the true bread that God set down from heaven. Uh, side note, by the way, if that's true, that means when you have the sandwich this afternoon, right, and you're thankful for the sandwich... There's just one more thing to do. Remember, the sandwich is a sign. When you're really hungry and you had that great meal, you're, you're completely, it's, it's completely lawful, wonderful to enjoy it, to give thanks for it, to ask for seconds. It's okay. But just do one more thing. Remember, it's just a sign. It's just a sign to something greater that it signifies. It's a, the, the way that sandwich, the way that favorite meal satisfies your soul is just a sign. Oh, it's real, but it points to something far greater. It points to a greater satisfaction, to a greater filling, to a greater completeness. So the thing that it signified was the true bread that God sent down from heaven. And Paul really says the same thing as he talks about that, what happened in the desert as he reflects back on that and, and warns us, warns New Testament believers that we must be careful that we don't just receive the sign and then grumble at God. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses, there was the baptism, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, there was the Lord's table, and all drank from the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, because they did not partake with faith, because they didn't believe God. They wouldn't believe God and go and take the land. They sure liked the food. They sure liked the baptism, that is, the, the get, passing through the waters and getting out. They loved those things. But to trust God when he hadn't done more, I need, well, God, we need you to perform more before we go into the land and take the giants. We're not ready for that. Our kids are going to die if we do that. This is not a safe place. God says, trust me. Go. They send in the spies. Twelve come back. Two of the spies said, land is great. It's great. Ten spies said, you don't want to go there. Bad place. 
big giants, stay here. We got, we got bread raining down from heaven. We're okay. And their bodies were scattered all over the wilderness in their complaining, in their moaning, in their sniping at God. The rock, so in that wilderness, we are told from Paul here that the rock was Christ and the food and drink they partook of was Christ. The manna fell from heaven and after one day, though, it was all rotted. And Jesus says, do not labor for the food that perishes. The manna pointed to Christ. It was the sign. Christ was what the sign pointed to. And what Jesus was now offering them was that true bread from heaven. But that bread is not a thing. That bread is a person. And that person, verse 33, gives life to the world. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They're starting to get it, maybe. Verse 34, Lord, give us this bread always. Do you, remember, uh, do you remember the words of the woman at the well when Jesus was talking about the living water? She kind of says the same thing. Ooh, give me this. So we, we can get food that, that gives us this eternal life and gives life to the world. Well, Lord, give us this bread as well. And Jesus says to them, because what they're still looking for is something they think Jesus is pointing to. But Jesus isn't pointing to something. The signs are pointing to Jesus. Right? Give us this bread always. Show us, where is it? And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. So they say, Lord, give us this, this bread, just like the woman at the well. Uh, but that woman didn't realize how much she needed Jesus. She just wanted the ease of living water. They don't yet realize how much they need Jesus. They just want this living bread. Jesus shows her by telling her, remember? So she's, she says, give me, the, give me this water. And Jesus doesn't say, well, let me correct your theology here. He says, go get your husband. Oops. Oh, you know about him? Okay. Reminds me, thank you for the... Uh, exhortation prayer, Jeff, reminds me of the importance of being honest before God about your own sin when you go before him to ask for things. I want that water of life. Give me that water of life. Okay, go get your husband. Oh, you know about my husband? Not only do I know about your husband, but you've had five husbands. The man that you're now living with is not your husband. When he revealed that sin, by the way, when he reminded her of that sin, what happens? She believes on him. She's healed and saved. Not only does he reveal to her her sin, he deals with it. Brings her to faith. If you recall the story, eventually the whole city comes and many come to believe in Jesus because of the faith of this woman who was just looking for some water that would keep flowing for her. Jesus wants to give you so much more than what you're looking for. And, and when we don't see that, when we're just looking to be satisfied by those earthly things in some kind of eternal way, we miss it all. C.S. Lewis says so well. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. 
like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The point is not that we want too much pleasure. The point is you are too easily pleased. I'll just, I'll be so happy if God just fill in the blank. And God is saying, are you kidding me? That is a mud pie in a slum with the sewer running through it. What you're asking for in terms of how well it endures. I got a holiday for you at the sea. You are far too easily pleased. That's what the Lord is saying to me. That is what the Lord is saying to you. You are far too easily pleased. You are hungry. You're, you're listening to these earthly hungers right in them of themselves, and you're treating them like the, these are the ultimate. They're the most important things. And by the way, this goes along with, with things like our health. We, we, we become a people so afraid to die. Instead of being a people so sure that in our death, we come into the ultimate presence of our Lord God and our Savior. And having that kind of an attitude just doesn't mean that you don't take care of yourself, you don't take care of your family. It doesn't mean that at all. It does mean you don't worship those things. It does mean you don't panic when those things aren't coming in the way that kind of you think the normal family should go or the normal lifespan should go or the normal health and safety should go. You're able to cast that away. You're, you're able instead to find, you can cast it away, and you don't have to cast it away like an ascetic. You don't have to become like a monk ascetic, deny everything, um, have no pleasures in life because all the pleasures are sin. They're not. But you made them that. You made them that, and the, and the test is, if God says, like he said to Abraham, I, I want the son. And you say, life's over. Like, I'll never be happy ever again. Nothing. Never. He says, no, no, you want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And he's the righteous one. You, 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 are too, you are far too easily pleased. These are all good things I've given you. They're all good things. But you're far too easily pleased if you think this gives you the ultimate and enduring pleasure. And so he says, I am the bread of life. There's the phrase again. But this time, it's the first of seven phrases that he will say, I am, and then say something like, I am the door, or I am the good shepherd, I am the way and the truth of life, or I am the bread of life. Clearly, John is pointing to Jesus' deity again, and this will become clearer and clearer. We have seen uh, a similar but slightly different construction in 620. We saw last time, Jesus said to them, I am, do not be afraid, up in verse 20. He says, I am the bread of life, and he who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. They said they would believe if they saw the signs, and Jesus is right before them. <laughs> they don't need the sign. You don't need the sign how to get to Seattle when you're into Seattle, right? You don't need, to get the, you don't need the sign, the signs of the bread of life, when the bread of life is standing right before you. I'll believe when I get the signs. Jesus says, you don't need the signs. I'm, I'm right here. I am the bread of life. But they don't believe, he says. They see him, but they do not believe. The ability to see, you see, is a gift. He's right there. But the ability to see is a gift. It does not matter what kind of evidence you give a lost soul. They cannot and they will not see until God opens their eyes and gives them sight. 
The question should not be, what signs have we seen? What more evidence can you give me? But rather, do you see? Do you see? And now Jesus displays the great confidence and optimism that he had in the Father and in his sovereign work to give life to the world. It does not bother Jesus that they do not believe. It is not bothering Jesus as it bothers us when we share and they don't believe. It is not bothering Jesus, and it is because he believes what he says in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. In verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. All that are given to him will be raised up to eternal life at the last day. There is this beautiful and yet incomprehensible truth about the absolute sovereignty of God in election and the true open-handed promise and invitation that everyone who believes in him, anyone who wants him, can come to him. And both are true. God's thorough, exhaustive sovereignty in his predestination, in his election of those who will come, and that he will lose none that the Father gives to him. And at the same time, an open-handed invitation to see, an open-handed invitation to come. You don't have to clean up anything. You don't have to do some works. You just come. Jesus took care of it all. How am I to reconcile these two things? How am I to reconcile the exhaustive sovereignty of God and the full and complete honest invitation and opportunity of men in their free will to choose, to come to choose? How do I reconcile these two things? I don't see Jesus trying to reconcile them. And as, 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 as Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon once said, I don't try to reconcile God's exhaustive sovereignty and man's free will. You don't have to reconcile friends. You don't have to understand how it works. That's beyond us. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to God. You don't under, have to understand how it works. You just have to know that's what Jesus said. That's what God said. How, how did he create all of the heavens and all of the earth? How did he create everything out of nothing? How do you do that? How can Jesus be fully man and fully God, just one person? How? How can God be three persons, fully God, but just, but, but just one God? I don't know how. I don't know how. I just know that the scriptures teach me that. And when it comes to understanding the, the full sovereignty of God in election, it makes us nervous that the control in all of this is in the Father's hands and not in ours. But frankly, aren't you glad it was, wasn't left up to us to create the heavens and the earth out of nothing? We got a lot of engineers here in the room. Maybe there's a way. Aren't you glad that God exhaustively, completely, powerfully, omnisciently, omnipotently does a whole bunch of things we have no idea how, but he does them? This is really good news, actually. You come to Christ because the Father gives you Christ, or rather, the Father gives you to Christ. If it was up to you to come to Christ, you would not come. If it was up to me to come to Christ... Not a chance. If it was up to you to not later be lost, 
If it was up to you, you would stumble and fall away. But if it is up to the Father and Jesus says it, then nothing and no one is lost. What are you to do with this? What are you to do with this? You are to believe. You are to believe what Jesus said. Faith is a gift. Faith comes by hearing. And even the ability to hear, to see, is a gift of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by this word declared, preached, laid upon, and before you. Come, and welcome to Jesus Christ. And amen. Most holy God, mighty to save, with the eternal destiny of every living soul in the very palm of your hand, move mightily. Move with that saving power to open eyes and ears, to soften hearts, to raise dead spirits, to grant life, eternal life. Do so here and now. Do so with those we bring before you in prayer. Grant life, bread of life, God Almighty, Jesus Christ, our mighty Lord. Father, we boldly ask these things, for we come to you in the name of your Son, the true bread, the bread of life. And amen. amen.